Hello, everyone. I am that Williams guy here for another episode. I believe this will be number 38. Uh, our guest in number 17 was Spencer Keepers, and Spencer is joining us again tonight. How are you doing, Spencer? Good. Glad to be here, Lee. Uh, for a quick refresher, tell everybody who you are. Uh, my name is Spencer Keepers. Uh, I'm the uh, founder of Keepers Concealment uh, and kind of known as the appendix guy. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later because I, I've spent way more time carrying strong side than I have appendix, but I'm known as the appendix guy, um, firearms trainer, uh, you know, et cetera, uh, passionate about all things, firearms, tactics, you know, all that stuff, the stuff we do. So, well, there you go. Uh, it- if you will allow me to take a little short programming moment here, uh, I sent the updated numbers to some previous guests on how their episode was doing this week, and two of the people immediately replied wanting to know how that compared to John Hearn's most recent episode, and of course, both of them beat John. Uh, of note, oh, that's good. Yeah, of note, Spence, uh, Spence, uh, Cecil Birch's episode this last week is ahead of John's pace the last time he was on and so Cecil just wanted that known and wanted that brought up tonight especially for John to hear and we decided go ahead now go ahead Cecil has some good tactics because not only can he choke you out he can do it over the airwaves that's right and well we discussed it and we decided it was because John doesn't like Brahms and so that's why the universe is paying him back wait John Hearns doesn't like Brahms. No, he doesn't like Brahms. That's that's it. Him and I are done. We're right, over. and all the audience just disappeared <laughs> because we brought up <laughs> ice cream again. But hey, we're, I'm a fat guy. We're going to talk about ice cream, right? All right. Um, now back to regularly scheduled moment. Now, after all that, you have to beat him this coming week. Oh, that's easy. It's John Hearn we're talking about, right? Because if you don't beat him, you know Hearn will be here for episode number thirty nine to point out. That he beat you. You know, it just won't happen. (laughs) (laughs) The pressure is on. (laughs) um, I know this year you rolled out a new class. Yes. Tell us about the class. Okay. Uh, So I was contacted by a group of federal LEOs. Uh, about doing a concealment class. And uh, so we talked about it, and I kind of drew a class up. Uh, I labeled it uh, Concealed Carry for the Modern Law Enforcement Officer because I couldn't think of anything smarter. (laughs) Um, You know how that is, right? (laughs) And uh, so went up to Detroit area. Uh, It was a, a mixture of 16 different well, 16 students, that's the max that I'll have in, in a class. Uh, <clears throat> but it was a mixture of different agencies, uh, different levels of tiers of those agencies, uh, but all federally based. Uh, even had a NOAA cop in it, if you can believe that. The only uh, one in Michigan. Well, there are only 22 of them in the United States. So, Oh, really? <laughs> he didn't tell me that. He said that they were a very small agency. <laughs> well, and I it, just kind of let it go with that. 
it's it's the numbers in the 20 i think it's 22 but it's in the 20s wow i took that's an internal true. affairs class at fletzy with one a while back and that's what he told me it may be higher than 22 but it's in the 20s wow and for you that's the national oceanic and atmospheric administration yes yeah he talked about the uh, so much of his stuff is involved in the fisheries mm -hmm. department, and he about ruined me on seafood, but I can't let that happen. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, yeah. uh, so this this group of guys, <clears throat> uh, um, their primary, like most of them's primary thing is plain closed. Right, um, which I, I found very interesting because I uh, had a couple of SRT members in there, HR, SRT, HRT, uh, SRT, yeah, I believe so. And uh, talked to those guys, and they were kind of like the, the NOAA, you know, it was like seven of them in like the state of Michigan, you know, mm -hmm. very hard fraternity to get into. Uh, he talked about, you know, talked about how tough the training was and, and all that, but. Uh, you know, for them, it was kind of one or two things. It was plain clothes or an AR. Right. You know, there, there wasn't a whole lot in between that, you know. And uh, so as I started the class, what become very apparent pretty quick, um, it, one, I had to kind of establish why, you know, why you would want to take a class from me like that. And, you know, those facts, I've been carrying a gun um, long before it was probably legal, <laughs> long before I was actually of age. Uh, so you can kind of think of right out of high school about 1987-ish, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and in doing that for, you know, now so long, I've developed a lot because especially back in the day, I mean, I devoured every magazine there was, every book that I could get my hands on and learning all the different carry systems and trying them out and, you know, have, oh gosh, I had, I bet one time I had a closet full of holsters, not just a few drawers or a few bags, you know. Um, and so the other side of that is, you know, like I said, um, I did that very, you know, uh, discreetly. Uh, and the, the strong difference between civilian concealed carriers and their, you know, law enforcement counterparts is you guys have a badge. <laughs> you know, if somebody sees your gun or, you know, your gun prints or, you know. It's really not a big ever, deal. It, it's, it's, yeah, that's, you're just, that's your everyday, right? Well, yeah. You know, for us, especially the way the laws were early on in, in Oklahoma, like, I mean, if your gun printed, they could pull, they, in, in it become an issue, they could pull your card over that, yeah. you know, so you had to be very diligent about that. And I took that and still do. I, I you know, there's concealment and then there's concealment and those are two different things, but, you know, using yeah. the same word, obviously. Um, so that's what I was there to give those guys yeah. is all the tips and tricks, uh, on, 
like really every concealment position, if you will. You know, obviously I covered appendix because, you know, yeah. uh, I have to cover that one. Uh, and it was very interesting because by the end of the class, everybody tried it. Like they didn't start off that way, but by the end of the class, they are all were like, hey, uh, I want to try that. So, uh, and then of course, you know, strong side inside the waistband, uh, <clears throat> shoulder, pocket, ankle, you know, even had a great slide for small of the back. It just simply said, don't. Yeah. You know, um, and it was it was really revealing to me, and I'm not sure why I was so surprised about this, but to almost every man, not 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 all of them, but to to the the, the vast majority, they all came to me at one point in time in the class privately and was like, you know. I don't know why we never practice from concealment when we're on the range. It's just like they had it in their mind that when they went to the range, they would put their duty gear on and run from their, their duty gear. Even though they spent way more time playing closed on duty than they do, you know, in duty gear. Um, and I just found that very, very interesting. The other thing that came out and I was able to, you know, kind of progress with the guys of, you know, starting to really understand the draw stroke, both primarily we were working from appendix or strong side, right? To really start to understand that draw stroke. And they were like, you know, they, one of them was like, so wait a minute, you mean you can be just as fast from concealment as you can a duty holster? And I'm like, bro, <laughs> and a lot of times we can be way faster, you know. Yeah, depending on the duty holster right. and then the method of concealed carry and how you're having to clear the concealment garment. Um, someone who is just moderately skilled from appendix carry is going to be faster than someone coming out of a level three duty holster. There's just way more going on that you've got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every every change in direction, every different, you know, movement you have to do with your hand to activate that holster adds probably anywhere from 15 to 2,500s, yeah. you know, and that, that builds up. That's one reason why a, appendix will always be easier to be fast from than the strong side you know uh, inside the waistband yeah you just have to move less to get the gun to where it needs to be yeah uh, i want to touch on something real quick there you, you talk about to do all the training from the duty gear versus concealment right um for a traditional law enforcement agency where everybody starts out in a uniform you know, there's typically, unless you specifically seek training in a concealed carry method, all the training you're ever going to see is going to be uniform duty carry. And yeah. I know when, when I went from uniform patrol to uh, an detective role, I didn't go through a concealed carry class. Yeah. You know, I just, start, I just started carrying concealed because that agency required us to wear, wear a jacket and tie. 
uh, unless we were wearing something clearly identifying ourselves like we were in uniform. Um, but when we would go qualify, we'd all just put on our duty gear. Yeah. Uh, but you can contrast that with, say, like an agency, say, like the FBI. Their guys are never in uniform unless they're on a special operations team. You know, so you would think their training would be geared more towards a concealed carry approach. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if it is. Yeah. I, uh, I really don't know. Uh, we'll get Bruce back on it and ask him about that. Uh, Bruce Cartwright. So we try to, to do training for our guys with concealed carry for when they're off duty, but it's not like a mass thing for the agency. It's but the guys that want to go out and practice in it, we do it. So right. that's that's a topic in law enforcement that really doesn't get addressed. Because there's yeah. only so much training time and only so much training dollars. And if you're struggling just to get people qualified, whatever qualified is, you know, and check those boxes to go, and then oh, we're going to have to go back and do it again. Yeah. You know, everything can seal. Now, I make the argument that you should qualify in whichever method which you go on duty. And, you know, that's, that's kind of been the standard at the training center. And everything is like if you were a plainclothes detective, you should shoot qualify courses. You would be going on duty. If you're a uniform patrol guy, you should be shooting it as you would go on duty. Well, that makes sense. And so our rule was always: if you didn't have on your duty gear, you had to have on concealment. Right. And so everybody's put on their duty gear because we all work uniform duty for overtime stuff. But um, uh, I, so. Th that may be something I you would think that coming from the agencies that you were probably dealing with in this initial class, you know, if they're all agents, they're probably more in the concealed or business casual type thing than a uniform. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that seems to be the case. And, you know, what, what you brought up, I, you know, posted a little bit about it and got quite a bit of interest from several agencies across the country uh, and still uh, working on some, uh, which I hope kind of pan out, but they've, they don't know until, you know, after the first of the year and budgets and yeah. all the stuff that I'm sure you get to deal with, you know, and, yeah. uh, but, you know, several of them have been like, you know, dude, or, you know, I just get a random PM from some guy that, you know, I'm friends with on Facebook, you know, and I really know him and, uh, and they're like, man, would love to have you come up and do a class, you know, but we're, you know, like the ammo yeah thing is you know that's like you know we actually have money to pay you to come teach the class so we just ammo. don't have any ammo for them to shoot the class you know like yeah. what a quandary to be in i saw where one of the vendors just yesterday i was quoting 12 to 14 months delivery time oh my gosh and you know how do you train how, how do you plan a training thing when you don't know uh we did our order for ammunition at the beginning of the fiscal year which is july we still haven't gotten it all in yeah and i'm sitting here looking at my calendar supposed to start my training for this time and okay i've got enough to get started and get everybody yeah. going but if that other ammo shipment doesn't come in it's like back half of the year may have to yeah. readjust but right. uh yeah. you know that is a thing when say you, you got an agency they got to go out and qualify they would, might would love to do a concealed carry class for their uniform you know for their personnel but do they have the ammo to pull it off yeah and yeah. then you have the time um 
Of course, here's another way to look at that too, is when your personnel are off duty, they're, they're going to be carried concealed. So that should be something you should be addressing as well. Uh, you know, depending on the hours that you work, you know, you may spend as much or more time in concealment as you do in duty gear, you know, and that's what these guys were even talking about was, you know, they all carried off duty, uh, you know, but, you know, a few of them was like, you know, man, hey, I hate to admit it, but, you know, I carried a, you know, a a 380 in my left front pocket or something, you know, and I'm like, Uh you know, and they're like, you're, you know, they're like, you're showing me that I can carry a full size gun comfortably and have easy concealment you know and they were like i can i can change that you know and uh, so i was pretty happy about that uh but that's how a lot of the guys you know that's just you know kind of check that box yeah i've got a gun but you know i always talk about you know my theory on concealed carry is high performance you know, I, I, I don't want to just ever just check the box of that I have a gun. I want to know that I can do things with that gun that put me, you know, in the, in the you know, like top tier. You know, I want to be able to shoot 100 on the FBI call and 100 on the test and, mm-hmm. or, or come close to it, you know. Um, you know, those are the kind of things that I'm trying to achieve from concealment, not just I have a gun and it's good. Right. And, and I, go ahead. Yeah, there is a difference between, and when you kind of touched on it earlier, concealment and I guess covert may be a better, better word. Right. Um, yeah, if I want to run down to the grocery store, my main goal in being concealed is that people don't recognize me as a cop and ask me about traffic tickets <laughs> while, I'm, you know, while I'm going to get groceries and everything. And, and, and if anybody happens to notice my gun, it's not a big deal. I will not get in any legal trouble for it. I will not really have any administrative trouble for that because it's, yeah. Oh, he's a deputy. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, but I contrast that in, uh, a few months ago, I went to a place in which I was legal to carry, but there was a high potential for headache should have been discovered that right. I was carrying. Right. And that changed the ball game quite a bit in making sure that I was carrying in a manner in which I was least likely to be discovered. Right. And, you know, that changes that. Well, the obvious answer is go smaller gun you know, go J frame, but, right. then, but then that cuts into the performance window. Correct. You know, I, I I'm not going to be able to run that gun to the same efficiency that I could run a Glock 19. And I've got, you know, one serving of five rounds versus three servings of five rounds that I would have on my Glock 19. Yeah. And so the advantages of being able to conceal the 19 or 19 size gun you know that could be the 320 compact or it could be a mmp or, or whatever right um the advantages of being able to, to conceal that type of gun is there is a bonus on the back side of that yeah yeah and yeah. You, know, you were mentioning a high performance concealed carry it's going to be hard to get high performance concealed carry with a j frame or an lcp or something in that category right 
and that, and that's the you know that's kind of the one of the things I always I harp on in my classes a bunch and probably don't do it social media enough justice on it but you know it's it's there's such a huge difference in the level of comfort that you have as well or at least I do you know because like when I go to Walmart you know maybe I've only caught you know maybe I didn't even take a spare mag but I've got 18 rounds of nine millimeter on a gun that I can shoot literally two inch groups at 25 yards on demand with, you know, or I can draw sub second from the holster and start getting hits on a target that's, you know, relatively close. Uh, And there's just a lot of confidence that comes with that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you know, I've never been one, but when I was uh, uh, training jujitsu, there was a huge level of confidence that I had that came from that. Um, you know, if I had to, you know, deal with somebody on the street and actually get in a tussle, you know, uh, where it's, that's completely different now, you know, it's like, I don't have any business being in one. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. And that's kind of the, that may not be a good analogy, but it's kind of the analogy difference between carrying a J frame and carrying a Glock 19 and, and the ability to use them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now our good friends, Daryl Bolke, Cecil Birch, and several of the other guys that we would know and that our audience would know uh, did an episode for another podcast, uh, Primary and Secondary, where they were talking about defining the mission and they made an argument for carrying something like a J frame and it has its place. It does. It's got its place. And, you know, maybe there's a different mentality that go, or not a different mentality, but a different mindset that, uh, that you have to go because you do have to recognize those limitations. Right. And, and for me on the J frame, I don't know how many people actually know this story. Um, you know, uh, um, it's not that I'm not a JFA fan because I own some, um, but I was involved in a little scenario where I just had a right knee scope and a right shoulder scope a week apart. And a couple of days after the second surgery, uh, I walked, did something as simple as walking out to the mailbox to get the mail. Uh, and around the corner came a whole dilapidated Chevrolet pickup uh, with uh, uh, two males in the front and three males in the back. Uh, and then, you know, of course, you could see I was all mm-hmm. bandaged up. It was early in the year. It was cold out. Mm-hmm. I had a vest on. And in the left front pocket of that vest, I had a, a Smith & Wesson, one of their like 340 PDs or whatever, one mm-hmm. of the better, better J's. Yeah. Uh, with five shots of 38 special plus P something or another. They pulled up to a stop right in front of me. <clears throat> there was some discussion that went on real quick through the driver to the guys in the back. The guys in the back all moved to my side of the vehicle and it was quite obvious what was fixing to go down. I was just waiting on it, looking at the driver because he was the one in charge. You're waiting for the beep. <laughs> And it became really apparent that I had one round for each bad guy. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of love for the J-frame, but the next day when I went to get the mail, I had a Glock and 16 rounds of nine millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> and I just invite you to be in that position uh-huh. and then start talking about how awesome the J-frames are. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, I got a lot of love for the wheel gun. I'm, I'm doing a Model 10 project right now. Nice. Um, yeah, my preference, if you lay out on a table a bunch of custom 1911s, you know, that kind of stuff, and then an old K-frame, while everybody right. else is oogling and eyeing over the 1911 or, you know, whatever, I'm going to be ever looking at the K-frame. Yeah. Cause that, yeah. That's my personal like preference. Right. Right. Uh, it's not my personal, I'm going out into the world and I need to defend myself preference. Yeah. Yeah. Um but as far as just what I think a gun is and what I want to look at and appreciate, that's just where I go. Um, now, you're teaching this class, concealed carry to law enforcement, but you've never been a cop. Correct. So did that become an issue at any point in time in the class? Uh, it did not. In fact, as the class went on, like, like I'm sure there was a little bit of it probably went very you know unspoken Mm -hmm. when we first started uh but it quickly got dispersed if if it was a deal at all it didn't come up like there was never uh there was never a statement of from a student like well you you're not a cop so you don't know or you know Mm -hmm. that kind of thing uh it never really did come up because it was you know, it was really at that point in time, it was all about the mechanics of how you, you know, how you clear the cover garment, how you get consistent with accuracy, you know, and all that stuff. And I've got great feedback from the guys where they've adopted a lot of my teaching methodologies in their training now with, you know, because some of them are full-time firearms trainers. Right. And they're actually teaching what I taught them, you know, which is pretty gratifying. Yeah. And there's, there's technical skill and then there's application. And, you know, you and I did that was episode 17 was why I can't technical and application get along. All right. But we can also look at the application side of that. Once the decision has been made to apply, there's really not much different. Now there may be some different legal standards as far as, you know, constitutional standards versus criminal law standards that would apply in the cop versus the, the non-cop. All right. But you weren't teaching a class on building clearing or right. how no. to take down a suspect. This is all no. about how to carry the gun concealed and to deploy the gun if needed. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I and that's where my path is. That's my lane. And I stayed well within it. You know, um, and I was like you know, here's, here's some of the stuff that we're going to shoot guys. I mean, you know, we shot the test, we shot the super test, we shot, oh gosh, you know, my, my keeper's test three to a three by five card, you know, at seven yards from concealment, my, my, my version of the three, two, one drill test, etc. you know, and so it was pretty quick, um, the range master core handgun skill test, you know, we shot that, you know, so 
it became pretty evident very quickly, uh, you know, based on the scores that these guys had a lot to learn and, you know, they saw mine and it was like, okay, you know, this dude's not just talking. He can actually put down what he's talking about. And, and I think that had a whole lot to do with it. What was the most common type of gear they came with? <clears throat> a striker powered handgun. Most, most, almost all were Glocks. Um, and average, average gear at best. Like what kind of holsters were prevalent? Uh, it was uh, like outside the waistband, strong side stuff that they, had, you know, just like throw a shirt over or something mm-hmm. like that uh, in some ways. And it, that changed pretty quick, but in some yeah. ways kind of inappropriate size guns, you know, there were some mm-hmm. 42s and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 43, I think. And then that, kind of went away real quick when they saw you know the volume of fire and what we were actually going to be doing they put you know bigger guns on um uh, but just kind of average stuff you know a, a few of them had actually gone out and bought some some holsters and several of them had bought some appendix holsters because you know they you know they wanted to kind of go down that road and and they kind of figured that that you know learning from me at that point in time be the best way to do that and uh uh but uh, all the gun stuff was like on point, uh, if not like maybe even a little overkill tricked out, uh, which kind of surprised me. Um, uh, but the, the holster selection was, you know, average, average at best. I was wondering but, if that's what your experience would be, because what I find um, – with the guys that I see that will carry off duty is they tend to go out and buy not optimal gear. Yeah. Because yeah. they just don't know. Because, you know, the duty gear is provided for them. Right. And then they go into a store and go, okay, that one's 40 bucks. That one's 75. I'll, you know, I'll get this one. Yeah. And they don't put a lot of, lot of thought and research into that. Well, and, and, and so and, that, that's just one of, and, and belts. The quality of the belts are being issued. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that was one of the things that I was really able to give them. Was you know part of the class is a couple hour lecture of going over holsters and belts and examples of those. You know, I'll take a big bag full of all that stuff and lay it out on the table and talk about the subtleties from one to the other because. Mm-hmm you know, they look at it and it's a holster. I look at it and it's, you know, it's, it's a piece of art that needs descriptive terms between one versus the other, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that was one of the things that they just, man, they just ate that up. They were just like, you know, and some of the guys literally left, left the first evening and went to the stores, you know, come back with new stuff the next day was pretty funny. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you almost have to prove it to them that the belt yeah. the belt does make a difference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the quality of the holster does make a difference. And the quality is not necessarily a dollar amount thing. It's, it's more of a design right. thing. Right. And, you know, it, it's how many 
pancake style Kydex holster makers are they're out there right now. There's one in every neighborhood. Right. And you compare that to something, say, like Tenacores, like that very first holster they came out with. I know they've gone to the AIWB stuff, but like that very first pancake holster they came out with, there's no comparison between the strength of the holster, what they put out, and what your buddy makes that's attached with screws. Yeah. There's absolutely no comparison between the strength of that. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess some... I'm sure you see this because you do the, the appendix thing. That's, that's your deal. Every holster maker all of a sudden does something and they call it an appendix carry holster. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the vast, vast, vast majority of them don't have a clue what it takes to make a high-performance appendix holster, you know. Right. And that's kind of going back to that theme, you know, it just <sighs> – don't get me wrong they're carrying a gun yeah. you know god love them you know but it's just like it with just a little bit more it could be so much more you right. know and uh, you know that's right. and there's a huge difference and i guess i'm i'm a horrible businessman uh because i've always put the performance of the holster uh, and its potential above profits, yeah. you know, and, uh, uh, hence that's why I drive a 2013 Raptor and not a 2022 Raptor. <laughs> I drive a 1999 S10 Spencer. <laughs> well, and right now I don't even drive the Raptor cause it's sitting at my nephew's with the new engine we're putting in it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, what, from your perception or from the feedback of the, the students in the class, what was their biggest takeaway? You know, I think the, I honestly think their biggest takeaway was that you could carry a, a full size fighting gun. So we're talking, you know, Glock 19 ish, um, or maybe a high capacity carry gun. However, you would want to term that uh, up to a full size gun. Uh-huh. comfortly and easily concealable and have really good skill with it from concealment. Like that was that, that just kind of blew all of them away. Cause they, I think like you talked about, you know, they've all come up from, you know, <clears throat> cause I'm sure all of them didn't just start at this agency and walk straight into the jobs they have, you know, uh-huh. they, they started out, you know, in, in uniform with duty gear and that's what they train with. And that's kind of, you know, that just kind of stuck. Right. Yeah. So uh, that seemed to be the biggest like overall takeaway and feedback that I got from them. All right. Now for you as a, as an instructor that has primarily taught open classes and more private citizens, what was your biggest takeaway from teaching a 100% cop class? Um. You know, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of difference in them. And maybe I just got lucky, right? Because I've been in classes where there have been guys that have been directed to have been there Mm -hmm. uh, in law enforcement. 
And, you know, the first thing they wanted to know was when was lunch and can I leave early? You know, and, and so maybe I got a little lucky there because I really didn't have that guy in the class. They all wanted to be there and they all wanted to learn. Uh, So I felt pretty fortunate on that side. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed is that I can tell a difference between when I'm working with pre-academy cadets versus post-academy people is that the people that have been through the academy they know how to go stand on a cheating line right and not to bend over and pick things up and not to walk off the line and everything that that's the biggest difference i see from a 100 percent cop class versus an open enrollment or people who haven't been through the academy or something yet because they don't they have not had the world uh, unfold its wrath on them for doing something that they shouldn't do yet uh gotcha yeah yeah Yeah, uh, man honestly the guys the guys were great you know uh shag shag targets for me they saw how much material we were trying to cover and Mm -hmm. and then they just clicked right in and started you know you know a couple of them that that i think are like kind of up and coming firearms trainers for the agency you know and those guys were just like what do you need let me do it that's another difference is that when you're teaching a bunch of cops, they become a workforce for you versus private citizens. Yeah. 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 They, yeah. they do. They will do that uh, because they're used to it from, you know, from the training. So somebody gets out there and tells them to go do stuff and they just go do it. You know, but I, I tend to, and I don't know, maybe if it's just me or I just get lucky because luck, yeah. luck in the keeper's household don't go together <laughs> Or I wouldn't be putting a new engine in my wrapper. Like even in my open enrollment classes, Mm -hmm. I always have a few, at least a few guys that, you know, are just like, you know, let Mm -hmm. let us do this so you can think about, you know, what we need to do next. Right. Yeah. Um, Anything else you want to throw out about about this class we've been talking about? Yeah. Man, I'd love to do it again. Uh-huh. Well, love to do it again. So hopefully we'll get <laughs> get some more more takers on that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's shift gear a little bit. All right. Um, I know you were really heavily running, uh, really into the Beretta ninety twos, the Langdon Technology guns, and the DASA trigger. Right. And and then you decided to go the dot route and you went to a Glock if I remember correctly. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Um, and I understand that now you've kind of moved into a 1911 platform with the dot. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, starting to uh, play with that. Um, and uh, uh, I have, you know, so it's kind of one of those things that, you know, there's a lot of firearms instructors out there. And the only thing they've taught is Glock. Uh-huh. You know, that's, that's like, like they really don't know. And that's not really what I want to be. I want to be, you know, and not just a little bit, but very in-depth, you know. So that's part of one of the reasons I spent so much time with the DASA guns here recently. Uh, but I spent a ton of times, obviously, with, with striker fire guns. And I have carried a 1911. Uh, it's been in the past. Uh, 
it's been now quite a long time ago. Um, and I want to now kind of go through that. Um, uh, so <clears throat> definitely looking at the, the staccato because uh, as, as much, you know, it's kind of like I told something to my, my nephew the other day. We were texting back and forth from working on the engine and we had wrapped it all up in plastic, but the oil pan wasn't on the bottom. And I finally sent him a text. And I was like, man, we shouldn't have put that oil pan on. He was like, well, I don't think there's going to be a lot of dust with that. And I said, you know, I keep telling myself that, but myself keeps telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm going with the, you know, the 10 round 1911 and mm -hmm. the 18 round 1911, you know? And uh, so, I, you know, I kept telling myself, man, just get you a single stack and carry that nine millimeter, 10 rounds. You're good to go. And self never got around to that, but when they got the staccato, <laughs> so. Uh, All right. So uh, you've got, you've got three distinct different trigger systems that you've worked with there. Correct. Uh, and I know you were Glock before you went down the DASA path. You're shooting a Glock 35 when I met you. Um, what differences in, in finesse and technique do you see amongst the three trigger systems? Oh, um, well, kind of just kind of like right off. Um, the striker fired trigger systems are probably the easiest to teach and learn right mm -hmm. um <clears throat> the dasa guns uh can be uh but even i will admit that you have to put in quite a bit more work to be equally as proficient so if like I, if i gave you you know a a Glock 17 and a, and a good uh, Beretta 92, let's say, and a thousand rounds of ammo and, you know, an, an, you know, a 16 hour, you know, or two 10 hour days at the range or whatever, I would expect you to be farther along in the skill set by a, a bit uh, with the 17 versus the DASA gun. And why is that? It just takes longer to learn. You've got two trigger pulls you have to master and to shoot them fast and accurately, and they can be shot fast and accurately. You have to learn how to do that, you know, at the speed that fast and accurate happens at, right? And that's a hard transition to do. It just really is. And then you have the whole thing of decocking the gun. <sighs> And it bumfuggles me to this day that that's an issue. And maybe it's just the difference in the way I teach it and the way I think about it and all that. But that literally becomes part of retracting the gun, right? It, but I, I, I have seen it. I've taught DASA only classes. And even in that class, it's like decock your guns. 
you know, come up to a dude, you know, and he's got the gun in the holster already. And I'm like, just don't move. (laughs) No, just don't, whatever you do, don't move. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they're now moving into the, the single action. It's kind of the same thing because you've got a safety you have to manipulate. Uh Um, So, The, uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think you can kind of make an argument for both of them there. Cause like, if we're not decocking the gun yet, we're carrying a, a single action and not putting the safety on, you know, we're, we're, we're now in the same thing, you know, right. uh, we, we have both those have roughly, you know, a four, four and a half pound trigger pull right. and they're, almost equal at that point in time, as far as amount of travel, you know, et cetera. Uh, But, you know, the, the, uh, the, the only flip side of that is on a, on a typical single action gun, you have the grip safety that does give you a little bit more margin in that scenario than a DASA gun. Well, that's if you're running a 1911 pattern. If you're running like a SIG SAO, or you manage right. to put your hands on one of these uh, Springfield high powers, you're not right. going to have that. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah. that's a very true point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is something to the uh, allure. I was talking to, uh, to David Cagle actually a while back about, because I know he's running a staccato now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked a, a little bit about it and kind of one of my questions to him was as, as a cop, you know, do you have any hesitations to carrying that trigger system? Right. Uh, and he was like, man, I shoot it. Just, it's so much easier to shoot and I shoot it so much better. Why shouldn't I carry it? You know? And I'm like, Bro, if that's, you know, if that's the path you're going to go down, I, I I get it. But then again, I've watched, I mean, you know, I, I've seen video of an officer ending with a Beretta 92 in double action mode <clears throat> into the concrete while keeping the, a, a gun on a suspect. So, you know, while... In my mind, I've heard way too many cop stories that revolved around, I had this dude at gunpoint, the hammer was coming back. Man, if that had been a 1911 or a striker fired, that gun, that dude would be dead. Yeah. You know, uh, to not think that there's probably some benefit to people management trigger in the DASA guns, um, but that's not where law enforcement's at. Not, I mean, not like not at all. You know, I mentioned my love for the revolver earlier, and one of the reasons I like revolvers so much is when you touch the trigger, it's under full tension, and it has there's no take up, there's no pre travel. When you touch the trigger, it's under the full tension, and then you apply that same amount of pressure all the way through the trigger pull until the hammer trips and the, and the gun fires. 
right. versus where's like a Glock, a CZP10, somewhere along the MMP, you have all this slack that you have to take up before you hit the wall. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's like slack resistance break versus tension break. Right. And, you know, to me, there's an advantage of having the tension on the trigger as soon as your finger comes into contact with it. And so you can get that with the DASA guns. And that's what I trained on initially well, it was, a, was a Smith 406. And I loved it. I learned how to shoot on that. And that may be the reason I like revolvers so much to this day is the similarities in those triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard for me to learn going to the Glock necessarily, the, the finesse of working that trigger. And it's what little I have played with 1911s in my career it that has always been a stumbling block for me we're going with the SA gun oh yeah and I, I just I'm sure if it's if I went and dedicated time to it it, it would come down but I, I've also I don't like grip safeties right and so, so something something more along the lines of say a, um, uh, you know a SIG SAO would be more to my preference than say the 1911 style gun. But um, I've seen the Staccatos. I've had a chance to play with it with one on a Ranger recently. And I'm impressed. Now I know a uh, funny thing with, with David Cagle talking about carrying it on, on duty and some of his brethren have followed suit with their agency. They had to put out a public statement. I saw that about it was okay for the hammers to be cocked on the gun. Yes, I saw that. And like, I actually saw that. I didn't see that from David. Like I actually saw that from his agency's Facebook. Right. I thought that I just, I just died laughing. I thought that was so funny. And then I know that, 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 that public relations statement that they put out led to people calling the agency that were appalled that the officers were walking around, around in the chamber. Ha! That I didn't know about. Yeah, and so it's just the whole mentality of it, where it's just okay. Basically, a Glock's cocked already. You just don't see it. Yeah, or it's partially now, cocked. Or, and you want to talk partially. about one uh, three twenty? Yeah, like a hundred percent. You know. Yeah, they're partially cocked, but you can't see it because of it's the internal striker design, and there's no external hammer for anybody to see, and people yeah. don't bat an eye at that. Yeah, no, no. Um, what do you see in performance wise from your Takata compared to say the Glock that you were shooting? Oh so the the Glocks that I've been shooting, I've been running a, a KKM barrel and comp on. Mm-hmm. So it's a Glock 17 with the KKM barrel and the and the big comp. Because right. uh, that's something else that I've never spent time on, so I thought it was time. Um those things are extremely accurate. Like, uh, like I have, I have no, uh, no BS, uh, two inch groups at 25 yards, uh, not with good ammo, not uncommon. Uh, if I, if I do my part and the dot makes that easier, you know? Um, uh, so I'm seeing that level of performance, uh, but like, the the uh, uh, I've shot a number of hundreds on the test, like back to back to back, uh-huh. uh, and I've 
I can't say that I've ever done that with another platform. So uh, is that with the Glock or with the Staccato? The Staccato. Okay. The Staccato. Yeah. All right. What are you saying reliability wise from the Staccato? Uh, literally so far, as long as I'm using, because I, I got acquired the gun used, uh, uh, as long as I'm using the correct mags, I've not had any issue with it. Okay. What do you mean like by it, correct mags? Uh, when I got it, the dude said there was, so there was two different colors. There was black and like chrome looking. And I guess the chrome ones were Gen 1 mags. From what little bit I've researched this, uh, the black ones are like Gen 2s. And he said the black ones had to run 100% for him. And I'm seeing the same results. Okay. So, right. and I now, think he said he had about, uh, 2300 rounds on the gun when I got it uh, and he said after the after he figured the mag issue out it had ran 100% since then so all right well all right we just went down this little brief discussion of trigger systems going back to the cop class that you taught and I was asking about the differences everybody yes. showed up with a striker fire gun yes yep 100% Almost everybody was equipped identically. Pretty much. Yeah. Maybe a little variances. Compare that to the open enrollment world and what do you see? Uh, still vastly uh, strikers outnumber anything else uh, by a bit. Right. Um, then, you know, occasionally, um, I'll see some DASA guns, uh, but this last year has been more staccatos, more 1911s, and then more strikers, uh, where probably a few years ago, the 1911s, staccatos, and DAs were switched. Yeah. So I'm seeing a little bit more... Uh, uh, yeah, more 1911-ish, uh, but specifically the staccatos. Yeah, I think in the private citizen classes, uh, you tend to see, while striker fire still is predominant, you do see more of a variation of the other systems coming in. But then when you get into the striker fire world, uh, you see more of a tend towards like smaller stuff is becoming more popular, like the SIG 365 and the Glock 48 and the 43X yes. and stuff. Yep. And so from a teaching perspective, is I got this guy over here that's running an eight to 12 round mag. And I got this guy down here that's running an 18 round mag with a plus two extension on it. <laughs> that can become, that, that yeah. can become of an issue there. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the, the thing that kind of gets me, uh, especially about, like the like the the guys are bringing like the 365s and stuff like that you know um it uh it, that little gun always surprises me and the new then out of the new shield plus like that gun surprises me a lot too i haven't seen one of those yet and and i know i, I do get feedback from the audiences we love that you're at the show tends to stay away from gear discussions and goes more 
into the teaching and, and the con historical context. Uh, but I do want to point out, we, we are kind of trying to touch on some of the different things that you see from the different worlds and the challenges of adjusting as an instructor to this. So what were you saying about the 365? Um, so uh, I hate to do this. I've, yeah. My phone is just getting blown up and I'm getting a, <laughs> it's an emergency text messages. Okay. Uh, it's from right. my nephew's girlfriend. So that comes right. me a little bit. So right. uh, let's, uh, I'm so, so very sorry, but let's no wrap problem. this up real quick. Sure. Sure. Uh, and uh, let me deal with whatever's going on. Cause if it's right. something my nephew, I'm yeah. Probably- yeah. I understand, understand completely. So as you're leaving, what are you carrying that staccato in? <laughs> you will know soon enough. <laughs> All right, go take care of your family business, Spencer, and thank you for your time and thank you for joining us. And to the audience, thank you for your time. Thanks, guys.